Uh, it's been 13 years, my memory was just the other day, but it's been 13 years that the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks came out. Raise your hand if you saw the movie. Castaway. Everyone see? Okay, a good number of you saw. It was an amazing film. The, the remarkable part to me about the film was how much of it really there's just Tom Hanks as the main character. If you have not seen the movie, spoiler alert for you real quick, uh, Tom Hanks' character's name is Chuck Nolan. He's a FedEx worker. He's involved in a plane accident. He ends up ashore on a deserted island where he stays for years. And throughout the movie, pretty much it's only uh, Tom Hanks' character that you see, with the exception of one supporting actor on the island as well. And here's the introduction of the supporting actor. There's a scene where Tom Hanks is trying to make a fire, and in the process he cuts his hand deeply, and in great frustration and anger he starts to pick up debris and just start throwing it everywhere, including a volleyball that's still in a box, a Wilson volleyball. He grabs the volleyball, and he notes that all the blood that was on his hand makes an imprint on the volleyball, and he finds it kind of humorous, and so he draws a face and names him Wilson. And then he goes on to give him some crazy hair, and Wilson becomes a supporting actor throughout the movie. And Tom Hanks' character, (laughs) over time what we see is, It blurs the distinction between reality and maybe somewhat crazy as he begins to talk with Wilson. There's a couple of scenes where he has fights with Wilson. And finally, in a dramatic scene at the end when he's in the ocean, he's on the sea, he actually loses Wilson. They become unattached and he goes after him in much tears and despair. He almost drowns in the process and it finishes up with uh, Tom Hanks' character back on the raft, screaming, I'm sorry, Wilson, I'm sorry. And it's hard not to be affected by this man who has sunk to places of desperation and loneliness that he had to create a character for himself that probably was at first about entertaining himself, but in the end seemed to forget that he was really an inanimate object who never spoke back. Like, Wilson will never speak back. He isn't real. He's a created personality. Wilson is a volleyball. But Tom Hanks' character is so desperate, he talks with Wilson, argues, and eventually is heartbroken to have lost Wilson. And in the end, Wilson never spoke back. And the reason why I point this out is because I think sometimes our relationship with God is sort of like Tom Hanks' relationship with Wilson. That I think for many people... They view God as sort of an invention of people who in their loneliness and fear and despair long for some sort of crutch or some sort of comfort, some sort of belief that will get them through the tough times, you know, funerals, moments of despair. And so we've kind of created this inanimate object called God who we talk to. Sometimes we might even yell at. And at times we plead, I'm sorry too. But in the end, like Wilson from the movie, they assume we don't ever hear anything back. God, like Wilson, isn't talking back to us. I wonder if that's not what people who are atheists or unbelievers in their perspective, you know, it's not like they can't be sympathetic or empathetic to our desire to want to have something greater, but at the end of what they view in our prayer lives is just simply that. It's one way. You recognize you're, not, you're talking to somebody who's not speaking back to you, and I wonder if in that there's sort of this delusional faith construct that takes place. But what's worse than that, to me, is the number of Christians who... We reject that there's no God. We believe there's a God, but functionally, we seem to be content with always having a perpetual one-way conversation with God with nothing in return. Now, can you imagine how that would work in any other area of your life? I mean, 
what would it be like if your spouse never talked to you, never spoke back? What, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, so you're thinking, no, yeah, he never speaks to me. I know it's been a problem your whole marriage, right? That's what I'm talking about. Like, it's a negative consequence in terms of the relationship to have. Can you imagine having a friend who never speaks to you? Like, they never spoke back. There's always one way you're doing all the talking. They never spoke back. Now, you'd walk away because you know you cannot have a healthy, dynamic, mature, and deepening relationship. The primary means of intimacy and communication was perpetually one way. And yet, when it comes to our spiritual lives, we have accepted that to be our norm, the way things are, and even the way that we expect them to be. And I know, given our background, where we've been, I mean, for some of us, this whole God, Christianity thing might be very new. Others of you grew up in church, and so there's all sorts of kind of assumptions that we bring into this conversation about the idea of God speaking to us today. That for me, I've come to appreciate or to recognize that my upbringing might have been a little bit like, we, we said that God exists, we believe that, but he doesn't speak to us today. Like, we've got the Bible, and people who think they heard from God are crazy or delusional, or not right in the head. <laughs> and so I grew up believing and being taught that God doesn't speak today, and we shouldn't expect him to speak today, and that those who claim to hear from him were mistaken at best. I mean, even if we were to give them the benefit of the doubt, they were being sincere, they were at least mistaken, if not out and out, a little bit crazy delusional at worst. But then when I had to go back, I said, well, why didn't God speak anymore? I would say, well, because we have the Bible. We don't, we don't need any other revelation from God because we now have the Bible. And here's what I'd say. I mean, the Bible's great. Like, don't hear me say anything negative about the Bible. I'm for the Bible. And if you want to know whether or not God wants us to hold on to bitterness or unforgiveness, the Bible is crystal clear in its revelation in God's Word about how we should think about those things. But if you're trying to figure out whether you should accept that new job position and move your family to the other side of the country... There's no book, chapter, and verse for you, and you might need a revelation from the Lord in that. Like, the Bible is great, so if you want to know whether or not you should covet your neighbor's wife or his oxen, because that's some good-looking oxen, <laughs> the Bible has got your back. But if you need to know whether or not you should enter into business, that business deal with your brother-in-law, I've got no book, chapter, and verse for you, and you might need to hear a fresh word from the Lord. The question for us is, does God communicate? Does he speak? Does he reveal? Does he do so out of grace and mercy and compassion? And so I think through different illustrations, different stories. I've heard, like I know one uh, pastor was spending time with the children's ministry and there with all the little kids. And before he went in there, he began praying and asked the Lord just to give him some words, some revelation, some vision, whatever for the kids. And what came to mind was a second grader named Sally. And all that he got from the Lord was that God sees what's going on in the house, and it's not her fault. God loves her. Now, he didn't know anything that's going on in their family, in their context, but what he didn't know was Sally was in her room the night before just crying her tears because her parents were fighting, they're in the middle of a divorce, and she believes she's responsible for it. Now, she doesn't, I mean, she's not, but she's a little second grader, and so she's crying out to God, asking him to fix this whole thing, feeling that she's responsible. And what happens is, in his grace and mercy, he delivers a word right to Sally's little heart to say, oh, no, I know what's going around you, and this is not your fault, and I love you. And so he just rescued Sally from thousands of dollars of therapy bills when she gets older, trying to work through those processes. This is the question. Does God still do that? Does he still exist in such a way and move in such a way where he still communicates and still wants to speak to us? And when I was challenged to rethink my upbringing and the possibility of God speaking today, 
I had to begin with simply asking this question. Does the Bible teach that the voice of God goes silent after we get the Bible? Does the Bible teach that people who think that they hear a word from the Lord are crazy? In short, where did I get this belief? And what I come to discover was I got this belief not from the Bible, but from a mixture of things. One is an, an enlightenment scientific worldview that taught me in very subtle forms that we lived under what we called a brass heaven or a closed heaven. What that means is the God of the Bible functioned differently than the God of today functions. And sure, he communicated back then, but he doesn't need to do that today. The interaction between heaven and earth was no longer apparent or necessary or at least minimal. In fact, I was what I would call, I, didn't, I wouldn't call myself this at the time, but I think I was a Bible deist. Like God gave us the Bible and allowed him to go off into retirement to not have to do the things that I actually read in the Bible. Functionally, God became distant and removed. And I was okay with praying to God, even though sometimes that felt funny, but you don't ever expect God to speak back. That's just crazy talk. And then you actually read the Bible. You can't find any of that in there. In fact, what you come to see is the Bible is the testimony of a God who is very much involved in, in interacting with his creation. The Bible speaks to, we don't live in a closed heaven or a brass heaven. We, lived, we live in an open heaven. A God who never indicates that he planned on penning the last book of the Bible and disappearing. A God who never once suggests that there's a day coming when he would stop speaking to or providing revelation for his people. And the Bible itself is the testimony and evidence and proof and illustrations of over 40 different authors over a span of 3,000 years that says, no, God interacts and he communicates. He speaks, and he speaks in a variety of ways. In fact, if I were just to get like a whiteboard, just ask us together to, let's name all the different ways we see in Scripture where God speaks, we would have a huge list of all the ways that God communicates with his people. He did it through visions. He did it through dreams. He could use a rainbow to speak. He provided prophets to speak. Fire, cloud, stone tablets, sometimes a direct audible voice. Sometimes it was a whisper. God could write something on the wall with his finger. Sometimes God spoke through the Urim and Thummim, which are sort of like dice seems crude to say, but that's what we talk about as we were studying through the life of David. Good grief, God spoke through Balaam's donkey, which gives me hope that if God can speak through a donkey... And what I realized was that I was incapable of interpreting my own experience with the experience of Scripture because I had already assumed the experience of Scripture cannot be my experience. Now, I know that's a little complicated. But here's what I'm saying. Like when I read the Bible, I could not read it in a way that would give, uh, help me understand my own life experience because I assumed that what I was reading in the Bible could not be my life experience. Which, whether you said it out loud or not, functionally means that the Bible is a great story and great history of a God who was. But it doesn't help us a whole lot for the here and now. And any time this happens, problems arise for us in regards to the scriptures. Dallas Willard will put it like this. The other problem that arises when we do not understand the experience of biblical characters in terms of our own lives is that we simply stop reading the Bible altogether. Or else we take it in regular doses, choking it down like medicine because someone told us so to be good for us, though we really don't find it to be so. The open secret of many Bible-believing churches is that only a very small percentage of their members study the Bible with even the degree of interest or intelligence or joy they bring to bear on their newspaper or Time magazine. In my opinion, based on considerable experience, this is, the primary, this is primarily because they do not and are not taught how to understand the experience of biblical characters in terms of their own experience. And what I discovered in the end was an assortment of reasons, but 
I think fear was really driving why I believe God didn't speak or communicate today. In fact, I knew all the crazy stories. Like, and they're out there, by the way. Like, there's just lots of crazy stories. I know the abuses, and I knew the stories of abuse. And now, having been in ministry for all these years, I'm telling you, I know a lot of that guy said he was into prophetic ministry, and he had this word, and it didn't come to pass, and he was wrong, and it damaged a lot of people, and it wasn't from the Lord, and it wreaked havoc on the... Like, I knew all those stories. And I think fear was driving... Yeah, I'd rather just God doesn't speak because of the abuses. I think that's probably even a temptation 2,000 years ago, because Paul had to write to the church in Thessalonica and say to them very specifically in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, do not quench the spirit and do not treat prophecies with contempt. But he'll go on and say, but test them all and hold on to what is good. I know why it would be tempting to hold prophecies with contempt because if you see enough of the abuse or the things that really are exaggerated or shams and and listen, I don't believe just because everything I hear or see made it to the religious TV channel that we ought to believe it. And we're going to discuss over these three weeks the very important role of discernment when it comes to hearing from God. And I myself have, I think, what I would call at least a healthy reserve and skepticism that when you come to me and say, hey, I heard a word from the Lord, my response is, maybe. I mean, I'm not saying you didn't. I just, we want to discern that and pray about that and maybe bring some other people in to discern that and pray about that. But nobody gets to have a spiritual trump card in my life or ministry with simply the phrase, the Lord told me. I mean, maybe. There should be a healthy humility that goes in it. But what I want us to move towards in the next three weeks is for us to seek, desire, and move deeper into a conversational relationship with God. That we move deeper into a conversational relationship with God. Not one way. And I think this is one of the markers of spiritual growth and maturity, that we're enjoying and moving in that direction, that it really is conversation. And conversation is always a two-way street. I'm not wanting to just talk to myself about my relationship with God. The goal is to actually enjoy conversational relationship with God, where I speak to Him, and He speaks back, and I can hear Him. And the foundation for this is really wrapped up in knowing what we were created for. And you need to know that you were created for intimacy with God, for there to be no barriers between Him and you. Listen, God did not create you because He was bored and needed something to look at down on the earth. He created you to live in union with Him, with great intimacy with Him. He created you to have that kind of a life where, as Jesus and his ministry keeps talking about it, could be characterized as friendship. and could be characterized, and I know it's a churchy word, but abiding in one another. And this was the entire work and ministry and message and teaching of Jesus, to remove every barrier of sin that separate us from God so that through the atonement of Jesus on the cross, he could, we don't need to hide from God any longer. We don't need to have any fear of God. We don't need to put on those spiritual fig leaves like Adam and Eve did. That Jesus took care of all of that, and God's grace and his mercy reconciles us back to him, and it restores intimacy. And you know that people that you are intimate with, that you are in relationship with, that you have friendship with, you speak to one another. Jesus taught his disciples, you're not just servants of God. Oh, we're we're moving deeper than that. I'm going to call you friends. This is what he'll say in John 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And he'll keep moving deeper in that, that language of relationship and abiding. He'll say this in John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And what relationship 
can be described as friends or abiding that doesn't involve conversation. It would be absurd to think otherwise. And yet, it seems that that's what we have done with God. So I do want you to hear, God wants to talk to you. And he wants you to talk to him. And he wants us to live our lives here on the earth as his friends, in abiding kind of a fashion where we are co-laborers in his kingdom, enjoying a conversational relationship. And I know you won't even move towards that if you don't think that's a possibility for your life. Or if you assume those who hear from God are crazy. The spirit that inhabits us is not dumb, restricting himself to an occasional nudge or a brilliant image or a case of goosebumps. And I think the key to hearing the voice of God is found in our friendship with God. As you grow in your friendship with someone, you begin to recognize their voice. Like your best friends, when they call you, they don't need to introduce themselves. Now, nowadays, we've got those fancy phones that tells us who's calling to begin with. But back in the good old days, when we had those old, old phones with a cord, you couldn't go farther than 10 feet. Like, they did, like your best friend would never say, hi, Nancy, this is Jenny. I'm just calling to, what would your best friend say? Hey, what you doing? And you immediately knew who it was, right? No introductions. Why? You know their voice. Why do you know their voice? Because that's what friendship does. The people who are your best friends, who you are the closest to, that you have great intimacy with, you recognize their voice. You know the quality of their voice, the tone of their voice, the spirit of their voice, and the character of their voice, and you could pick it out immediately, and you won't be confused by another. And you know that with people who are close, like my wife Kelly. I know her voice, and I'm not going to be confused by any other voice. I know the spirit, the tone, the quality, the character of her voice. If you were to tell me that she called and left a message and said, you better tell Sam to do, 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 like, I'd go, that's not Kelly's voice. That doesn't sound anything like Kelly. Why? Because I know her voice. I know Ann Lynn's voice, the administrative assistant here at the church. If you said, hey, Ann wanted you to know, yo, 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 what up, G? I'm starving the need to fly this joint to go get out some squirrely grub. I would say, no, that's not Ann. Ann doesn't talk anything like that. And as you move into a deeper friendship with God, you will begin to recognize and understand the character, quality, tone, and spirit of his voice. Now, it will require experimentation. It's going to require practice. It's going to require effort and time. But I want you to be open to that possibility as you move in that direction so that you can begin to be sensitive to his voice. Even Jesus kind of points this out in his ministry in John chapter 10. He uses metaphors a lot, and here's one that he gives in, in John chapter 10, verse 1. It says, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, that dude's a thief and a robber. The one who enters, though, by the gate, that's the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Now, just as a background a little bit in terms of what it was like in New Testament days, because of the scarcity of land, it was, it was not uncommon for several flocks to kind of merge together in the same pasture land so you could have several shepherds with their flocks in the exact same area. And each shepherd had a very distinctive call that they would make, and their sheep knew their shepherd's call. And so when it was time for a shepherd to leave with the flock, even if the others were staying, all the shepherd had to do was to give his call. His sheep would recognize his voice, and he would lead them out of the pasture land. And so that's the metaphor that Jesus is pointing back to when he says, listen, I'm the good shepherd, and those who are my sheep, they know my voice. And they won't be fooled by any other voice. They'll recognize the tone and the character and the quality and the characteristics of my voice. He goes on, verse, verse 6, and says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. 
Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me, they're just thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out, and they'll find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life, and that they have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the hired hand, he's not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. In fact, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he's just a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. This passage is all about this growing conversational relationship with God. We know the voice of our shepherd. And you know, if you, if you have any pets, isn't it amazing? Like at birth, that pet is not, they don't know your voice. Or when you bring one into the home, they don't know your voice. How quickly they begin to learn the voice of their master, their voice of their owner, and will respond to it. It's just amazing. And as you grow deeper in your relationship with God, you'll get to know the spirit, tone, quality, and character of his voice. Dallas Willard again says this, In the small, still small voice of God, We are given a message that bears the stamp of his personality quite clearly in a way we will learn to recognize. But the medium through which the message comes is diminished, often to the vanishing point, taking the form of thoughts that are are our thoughts, thoughts tangibly not from us. So backing up for a moment, so you might be sitting here thinking, are you talking about like hearing the audible voice of God, like that we can hear the audible voice of God? To that I would say, maybe, although it's very rare. I mean, even in the Bible, it is very rare for anyone to hear the audible voice of the Lord. But remember, the Lord speaks in a variety of ways, through visions and dreams and prophetic words and different kinds of revelation, through the Scripture itself. Some people speak even through life circumstances. And for me, often, it's those inner thoughts that I can discern are connected to the Spirit of God that dwells within me. They could be an impression, a thought that over time I can discern as a thought from the Lord and consistent with His nature and character. But moving into this, you know, God always moves incarnationally. I know that's a big fancy word. What it just means is God meets us where we're at. Even the authors of the Bible, this is interesting to me. Did you know that every one of the authors of the Bible got to remain in their own personality as they wrote? They got to use their own language, their own grammatical styles, their own perspective. God does not wipe all that out and say, let me dictate for you word for word what you should write. And yet we recognize they heard from the Lord and they have written inspired scripture. And so when you read in the Greek, uh, Luke's writings reads totally different than Paul's, just grammatically. And Paul's reads entirely differently than, than, than uh, uh, John's. And so what, no, God doesn't, he will not, sometimes in hearing the voice of the Lord, don't be shocked if your expectation is it will be Elizabethan English, like thou shalt not. If you don't hear that and it sounds familiar to you, don't discount that as not being from the Lord. That's often how he works. Now, I'm not saying that if the Lord speaks to you that that has the same weight as Scripture. I'm just saying sometimes those inner impressions, the direction of my thoughts and thinking, the images that come to mind, maybe a particular revelation, while familiar to me as Sam, yet I'm trying to discern if this impression or this thought or this image bears the stamp of God's personality and thus through my thought or this image or impression, it is a word from the Lord. Now, we'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit, but for clarity's sake, I think you can hear from God, and it might be an audible voice sometime, maybe, although that's rare. And I would encourage you to do this, like before church next Sunday.
just carve out like 15, 20 minutes and just sit before the Lord in silence and ask him if he might give you a word for somebody else that would be a blessing or would minister to somebody else at church this morning. Just ask him. Now, I'm not saying he will. Just You should just sit in a posture that you're open, you're listening, you're willing to hear from the Lord, and you're asking him. Don't ask for, like, you know, tell me somebody's sins so I can let them have it. No, don't do that. Just, just start out with, is there a word that you want to give to me that might be a blessing to somebody else, that might minister to somebody else this morning? And then listen. See what impressions come to mind. See what thoughts come to mind. And what might happen is somebody comes to your mind that you weren't even thinking about, and maybe a particular circumstance or a particular thing comes to mind that maybe God will say to you, I want you to go to that person. I want you just to say to them that, just say it like this. This might be a word for the Lord. I don't know if it is or not, but I feel like he's wanting me to tell you that he knows all about the circumstances with your son, and he will use us to change his whole life around. And that's it. Now, if they say to you, I don't even have a son, then you know it wasn't a word from the Lord. <laughs> Go eat pizza. <laughs> or watch and see if tears don't start streaming down their cheeks because they got a message from the Lord that they've been craving and desperate for because for months now, everything in their life has been out of kilter because of what's going on with their son. And God just used you to be a great blessing to somebody else in ministry to just offer because you were in a position that you were willing to listen. Because you said to God, if you have something for somebody else that might be a blessing, would you give it to me? And if he does, consider to be his grace and mercy for somebody else and let you be used in that position and that posture. But here's the good news. If you feel like hearing the voice of God is a challenge to you or you don't feel real confident in it or it feels like you've got a long way to go, that's, you should feel that. That's not a problem. In fact, the Bible itself seems to indicate, you know, sometimes the voice of the Lord, it is hard to discern. It really is kind of hard to figure out, is he speaking? Is this really from God? Is this, I had a burrito a couple hours ago, and now, I mean, right? I mean, sometimes it's difficult. Or tacos, I'm, okay. Right, let me give you three illustrations that kind of hint to this. Like, uh, one's in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers in chapter 12. Now, you remember Moses, right, the great leader Moses? He has a brother and sister named uh, Miriam and Aaron is his brother and sister. One day, Miriam and Aaron are looking at their brother Moses, like big old Moses, look at him, you know, leading all the people, and they get jealous, and they start talking bad about him. Like, they're like, man, we're just as good as Moses. Like, why can't we? I mean, like, so that's what's happening. They're talking behind his back, and God hears it because he hears everything, and God responds. This is what he says in Numbers 12, verse 6 to 8. He says, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now, a bigger thing is going down here in context. I mean, it really is about these two who are talking bad about God's leader, Moses, and, and those sorts of things. But I think it's interesting when God responds, what he says is, yeah, with most people, I, mean, I give them visions, I give them dreams, they need to interpret it. Sometimes it feels like a riddle, not so with Moses. With him, it is face-to-face, and it is clear. And so, yeah, if you feel like you're in the realm of, it's not always clear, sometimes it's a riddle, no, you're in good company. And sometimes it's a matter of just growing in our ability. It's like, that's what I mean by it takes experimentation. It takes time. It just takes practice. And sometimes for us learning, how do we hear from the, like, take the prophet Samuel. Remember, when Samuel was just a little boy, he heard the voice of the Lord. And you would think in your mind, it'd be like, when you hear God, it'd probably be like Charlton Heston and, and like, the, like uh, I mean, and what happens, he didn't recognize it as God at all. Like one of those big booming boys with a deep bass vibrato. I mean, it was just like, he thought it was Eli. 
And so here's why he kept hearing somebody call out Samuel, Samuel. So he kept getting out of bed and going, what do you want, Eli? And I was like, I didn't call you. All right, go on back. And so what happens is finally Eli, this is what it says in 1 Samuel 3, verse 8. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And this is funny, Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. See, Eli had enough practice. He had enough experience. Oh, no, no, I think the Lord is trying to speak to you. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling at the other times, Samuel, Samuel, which you have no idea how much I heard that growing up. (laughs) Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And then the Lord went on to tell, little boy Samuel went on to tell him all the things he's about to do in Israel and uh, things in Eli's family. And so, but what, what's happened? Samuel need to learn, oh, that's the voice of the Lord. And how I responded is just simply to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Or sometimes I know for us it's expectation. Like if you've never experienced the voice of the Lord, or at least you don't think you have, like in your brain you're probably thinking, oh, I bet like, Things shake when God speaks. Like it's this big, spectacular, dramatic moment where like feels like the flesh is coming off. I mean, we have our own sense of what it's going to be like if God were to really speak. And so sometimes we discount maybe that God really is speaking because it wasn't nearly as dramatic as we thought it was supposed to be. This happens to the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah has great triumphant moments, and then he has a threat by the queen Jezebel and gets all freaked out and he goes on the run. And there's a scene where he's on the run, and it's in 1 Kings chapter 19. He's running away, and it says in verse 11, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Like, that's dramatic right there, right? Like, that's that moment where Elijah goes, Oh, it's God. God must be here because of the wind and all the shattering. It says, But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. Now, that's got to be God, right? It's like earthquake, things are shaking, the earth is moving. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. Now, yes, I remember the stories in the Old Testament, how God would move and pillar of fire, and so that must be God. But the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire came just a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then that voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, sometimes we think it's going to be the big dramatic. And I, sometimes, oh, no, it's just a gentle whisper. Sometimes it's not spectacular at all. Sometimes it might seem so mundane that you would dismiss it as that's just like the smallest of whispers. So don't feel discouraged if you feel like you aren't very good at hearing the voice of the Lord. Everyone should probably have that humble posture of, no, no, most of God's servants struggle to figure it all out and to come to that place. I'm going to have a lot more to say as the weeks progress in terms of where we're going in this. And I do want to say, I I do think there is a hierarchy in regards to the voice of the Lord. Like, I don't hold up my own impressions or thoughts or even a dream with the same weight and authority as the Bible. Like, the Word of God and Jesus, the living Word, this is my standard. This is the thing in which all other words from the Lord get contrasted to and they get measured by. And so, no, not everything else holds that same sort of weight. In fact, any word you get, if it is from the Lord, it will be consistent with and not in contradiction to the Word of God or Jesus, the living Word. And I have often found 
God doesn't need to give any other revelation because he really did provide it in the Bible. And so many people are, you know, begging God, would you please answer me, God, please, please? Should I marry this guy who doesn't love Jesus and doesn't know you? And, and you know, the Bible's sitting on the coffee table, read me, read me. I mean, that's like, like he doesn't need any other revelation. He's made it very clear. But I do want to talk about that. And then I want to talk about really practically, well, then how do we know it is God's voice? This is about recognition. And when you think God might have spoken to you for a word for someone else, how do you deal with that? How do you handle those sorts of things? And how, do you, how does the role of discernment kick in to know, yeah, no, this is a good place in terms of time and application and interpretation? But I would say, I think God wants from us a conversational relationship, and he always has. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if somebody here is thinking, I really do think he spoke to me. I dismissed it because I didn't think that was possible, but I really do think he might have been trying to speak to me in this circumstance or this occasion or in this particular way. And I'd say, no, I think that's a very good possibility that he did. And as we want to move towards that conversational relationship, it means that we need to turn into the voice of God. And it's interesting, in Jesus' ministry, he will say a lot about people not hearing the voice of God. Like they just didn't, they didn't hear it. They missed it. Like it was there, and they just missed it entirely. It's sort of like a radio tuner, right? Like if you want to listen to an all-80s weekend on Sunny 101.5, which who doesn't? You have to have the frequency set at 101.5 or you won't be able to pick it up. So how do we get our lives to tune into the frequency that is God so that when he does try to speak to us, sometimes even in the smallest of impressions or thoughts or gentle whispers, we're able to hear it and to pick it up. And so in it we can enjoy what I think God has always intended for us, a conversational relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that over these next several weeks and then really for the rest of our lives, you would teach us in that. I stand not as any authority whatsoever, but wanting to be faithful to the reality that you love us, you've called us to be your children, you've adopted us into your family, you've extended to us friendship and intimacy, that you've chosen by the power of your spirit to abide in us, and through that, I believe God, as your Bible teaches, you're a God who still interacts in our life and still wishes to communicate. And so we want to be able to hear you. And so give us ears to hear. And so I pray, Lord, that whatever has been our experience or the past or that just even in this moment you'd be gracious to us as we rethink and reevaluate and go back and study and try to figure out, oh, this is what it would look like to live here on the earth communicating with you. We give you thanks for your grace. We say this in the name of Jesus.